Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. The account you're about to hear is found in Acts chapter 9 in your Bible, so you might want to turn there and follow along. I'd never seen him like this before. He was fuming, yelling out murderous threats against those who claimed to be followers of this Jesus. You see, for the last several months, Saul of Tarsus had turned into virtually a madman. This rabbi from the north had come down to Jerusalem. People had lined the streets shouting Hosanna. A week later, we were able to turn the crowd because this movement that he had started was a threat to everything we knew to be true, or so we thought. And it was our understanding that if we got rid of the head, the body would surely die. And so that's what happened that Passover weekend. We thought we were murdering a confused rabbi. Several days later, three to be exact, word began to spread that the Messiah was alive. Of course, we didn't believe it. What happened next, we didn't have an explanation for. It was hard to explain away all of his miracles and his ministry, but we did that by just giving credit to Satan for his power. But this movement, we couldn't seem to explain it away. In just a matter of months, over 10,000 people in Jerusalem alone were now pledging their allegiance to this Messiah. So the nuclear option was now on the table. Eliminate the threat. So we begin to strike fear into the hearts of the followers. It happened when Stephen, one of their leaders, I think they called him a deacon, Paul oversaw his stoning. That wasn't enough. The first part of the plan worked. The church scattered from Jerusalem, but here's what we didn't account for. As they scattered, they continued to tell people about this risen Messiah, and it began to grow and spread. And it wasn't just confined to Jerusalem. Now it's beginning to be spread all over the known world. So that's where today's story comes into play. We set out, headed for Damascus. Saul had gone to the high priest in Jerusalem and asked for letters so he could go to Damascus, a city in Syria that was 150 miles away because he heard there there was a group of followers of this Christ. 
And he was going to go there and his intent was to come into their meetings like this meeting today and rip fathers away from their wives and children, mothers away from their husbands and children and take them back to Jerusalem to be prosecuted as blasphemers and then hopefully to be executed to make a statement and to eliminate the threat once and for all. As we made our way to Damascus, what happened next, no one could have ever dreamed. There was a light that shone from heaven that we all saw, unlike anything we'd ever seen before. And this powerful, violent man, Saul of Tarsus, is now on his face and he hears a voice we heard the voice we didn't see the face Saul Saul why do you persecute me who are you Lord Saul said and then the next thing we heard we couldn't believe I am Jesus whom you are persecuting Jesus the rabbi that was crucified months earlier is alive He told Paul to get up and wait in the city until he was told what to do. Well, now here's where the problem was. Paul, this strong, proud man who had such a vision for destroying this movement was now completely blind. He couldn't see his hand in front of his face. So we grabbed his hand and we led him into the city where for three days he didn't see anything, he didn't eat anything, and he didn't drink anything. On the third day, there was a knock, slight, a faint knock. We opened the door and we were introduced to a man. It was obvious from the look on his face, he was afraid. His name was Ananias. He was one of the way. He, were one of, he was one of the followers of Jesus. He was in Damascus. And he began to tell us a story of how God had spoken to him that he should come and speak to, to Saul. And he was afraid and didn't want to do it. And he asked God again. And, and, and God had told him that Saul was going to be one of God's chosen instruments. This persecutor of the church is now a chosen instrument of this Jesus he was trying to destroy. We'd never heard anything like it. So we led him into the room. Ananias came in. He approached the room as you might approach a room with a wild animal, cautious, but still faithful. He walked over and he placed his hand on Saul. You see, Ananias new people whose lives had been wrecked by Saul. And the next word that came out of his mouth, no one was ready for. He called him brother. 
brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you. You're going to be this chosen instrument. And Saul is now filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands. He's even baptized as a way to identify himself as a follower of the way he was trying to destroy. He takes some food. And then we head out of this house on Straight Street in Damascus. And we head to the very gatherings we were going to destroy, except Saul shows up. And he begins to speak to the people that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is alive. He has spoken to me. And he is going to spend the rest of his life building up these very churches he was intent on destroying. No one was ready for what happened that day. Yesterday, the narrative is over, by the way. I was sitting at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee with 100,000 of my closest friends. Yeah, for my annual beat down. <laughs> As the stadium was, was filling up, there were two seats vacant in front of me. As a guy, you know what I'm thinking. Cool, place to prop my feet. And then right before kickoff, two guys walk in, one young man leading in a blind man to sit in front of me for a college football game. As I was watching him shuffle his feet and make his way through these crowded rows and then sit down, in my mind, I was wondering, what is he hearing? He's hearing better than I am what is around us. Fight songs of the band, Rocky Top being played before the game, not during. <laughs> Smells the hot dogs. But what is he seeing? You see, he isn't seeing the same thing I'm seeing on the field because... He's blind, but he's seeing something. You see, he's taking everything that he sees, everything that he hears, everything that he smells, everything that is around him, and it's playing out in his mind visually. But it's different than what I'm experiencing. Saul's story is a story of blindness. Not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. You see, when he headed to Damascus, he thought he was doing the right thing. When he oversaw the murder of Stephen and watched Stephen's skull fractured multiple times until he's dead, he thought he was doing the right thing. His problem was... He was blind. He was blind to truth until that day on the road to Damascus where physically he was blinded for three days. So for the first time in his life, spiritually, he could see. 
Here's the deal with life. Nobody changes. Nobody changes anything until God gives them sight. That's what this story is about. So let's ask ourselves three questions today. First of all, this is going to be dangerous. It's going to be different. You're like saying, different? I thought what we just experienced for the last 10 minutes is pretty doggone different. I'm going to invite you to do something right at the beginning. Usually we reserve the invitation for the end. I'm going to invite you to do something dangerous that could change everything. I wonder right now if you would say to the Lord, Father, give me sight. If you're a believer today, you still have blind spots in your life. There, is, there are things that you are doing and behavior that's a part of your life. And listen, it is affecting other people. I mean, as Saul marches to Damascus, he was blinded to spiritual truth. Do you agree with that? And he is going to wreak havoc. He is going to do damage unless he saw correctly. But can I just ask you something? As a believer today, there, there can be blind spots in your life. You don't know about them, but they are wreaking havoc in the lives of other people around you. So here's the invitation. If you're correct courageous enough to take it. God, would you give me sight? Would you help me to see the blind spots in my life? Would you help me to see correctly? You see, I think there are a couple different types of blindness spiritually. Let, let me just say this really quickly this morning. I, I think there are religious there is religious blindness. This is Saul's problem. Saul was religiously blind. Saul was dead set on destroying the church. He thought what he was doing was right. And Saul's problem was really the message of Jesus, the message of grace and complete forgiveness. It was a threat to his system because all Saul had known his entire life was the law, was the sacrificial system. That's how they were able to keep people under control. Obey the law, obey the law. Offer the sacrifices, offer the sacrifice. And then Jesus comes and he says, I am the sacrifice. Trust in me. And that was a threat. That was unsafe because we love the law and Saul thought what he was doing was right he thought he could behave well enough to receive something from God and that's religious blindness and there are many people who are suffering from it today maybe even some of you here's the problem with religious blindness at its core you think you can do something so now god is indebted to you to do something back do you see how problematic that is and the only way that can be broken is for god to open your eyes and show you what grace is about and then there's irreligious blindness Irreligious blindness is just, th these are the people, watch this, these are the people that, that probably are really frustrating you in your life, coworkers, neighbors, and friends, and they keep acting and responding in, 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 in such an unhealthy manner, and you've talked to them over and over and over again. You've given them book after book after book, and you want the behavior to change, and it's not changing. Why? Because they're blind. 
Irreligious blindness really says this, I'm going to live life on my terms. I don't have to submit to anybody. I'll do what I want to do sexually. I'll do what I want to do with my attitudes and my actions. I don't submit to anyone at the core. I mean, sin, a three-letter word, the middle letter is I. That's what it's all about. I write the rules for my life and my story. That's irreligious blindness. But sooner or later, that story ends bad. It doesn't work. God, would you open my eyes to that? Let's ask the first question. How do you view yourself? How do you view yourself? Can we look at this in light of the story that we're looking at today in the Apostle Paul? Here's the Apostle Paul overseeing the murder of Stephen. Here's the Apostle Paul yelling out murderous threats, heading to Damascus to drag believers out of a group like this. Can you imagine me? I mean, it, it, everybody's all dressed up today. It's kind of neat and nice. Some of you already dozed off. It's early in the message to be asleep, but you're already there. I mean, we're comfortable, right? I mean, we like the music. It's, you know, it's it's fairly cool vibe in here today. But then some dude walks in the back, and he rips your wife right out from you and drags her off to be executed. Man, that's on, isn't it? Can you imagine the disdain you would have for that human being? Guys, this is a good time to say yeah. Yeah. This is the guy that God sends Ananias to and says, this is my chosen instrument. This is the mercy and the grace of our God that reaches out to Paul. And so here's the point. How do you view yourself? Some of you today, listen, listen, help me. Some of you today think, you know what? I don't think God could ever love me. I think I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified from the love and the grace and mercy of God. And in walks Saul. He calls himself the worst of sinners. Murders Christians. And God loves him and forgives him. What a great truth. And then says, listen, listen to this. What does God say? You, Saul, are my chosen instrument. Can I tell you something? I believe that's what the Father is saying to you today. You're my chosen instrument. I just don't want to save you. I want to use you to do more than you can ever imagine in your life. And yeah, he tells Paul, you're going to have to suffer because Paul had been on the other side of the equation. He had brought suffering to the church. Now as a follower of Jesus Christ, he was going to experience some of that. And yeah, you're going to experience some of that. But when you know you're loved at this level and you've been given purpose like you've never been given purpose before. It changes everything. And Saul's story reshapes the way I see myself. Because you know what I'm really good at? I'm so good at remembering my mistakes. And maybe that's the enemy speaking at me, but I'm so good at that. And I'm so good, if I'm not careful of replaying all the things in my life that I'm so embarrassed of and I'm so ashamed of, and if, I, if I'm not careful, I'm really good at getting at a pretty low spot and feeling pretty defeated. Anybody else like me? And then Saul's story. A God who loves a man like Saul loves a man or a woman like you and wants to use you as a chosen instrument. Uh, you know what I love about this story so much is I'm a visual learner, and, 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 and Saul, here's what the Bible says. Saul goes to these gatherings after this event has happened, and can you imagine the gatherings of 50 or 60 believers in Damascus? They're praying. They know he's coming, right? Ananias knew he was coming. They know Saul's coming, and they know what he's coming to do, and then he shows up. 
And God answered their prayer. But a lot of times God answers our prayer. And we're not expecting that, are we? We're not expecting it. God answers their prayer. He shows up and they are freaking out. And then Psalm says, hey, I mean, Saul says, hey, this is my third, actually fourth time to preach this message. Extend some grace to me. Saul says, hey, settle down. I'd like to talk to you. He wants to talk to us. He begins to tell them how wrong he was and how his eyes have been opened and how he believes Jesus is alive because he saw him and heard him. And now this one who has been on destroying the church is building the church up. Can you imagine what that worship service was about? Your arch enemy is now your pastor. Wow, what just happened? This is an amazing story. But only God can open your eyes to truth. Can I just tell you that again? Only God can open your eyes to truth. That's why the invitation today is is not take anything I've said. It's not going to help you. The only thing that's going to help you is to ask God to open your eyes to truth in your life and to open other people's eyes to truth. Look at verse 15 just really quickly. I have about 12 minutes. Let's Let's go fast. I love Acts 9 verse 15. Here it is again. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I've talked about this probably as much as any topic I've talked about. Why? Because it is so prevalent in the church today. So many people are willing to believe that God could forgive them, but not willing to believe that God could use them. Paul, you are my chosen instrument. In fact, that pain and all those mistakes, God wants to redeem that and use it for powerful ministry. Do you believe that? Don't buy the lie that God can't use you. Let, let, let's, look at the, let's look at the second thing today. How do you view yourself? I'm a trophy of God's grace. That's what, that's what Saul was. He was a trophy of God's grace. He, he didn't have anything he can brag about as it related to his salvation. He was a trophy of God's grace. And so are you if you're in Christ today. I don't brag about what I've done. I brag about what Jesus has done in and through me. Then how do you view others is the second question today. How do you view others? I never will forget, one of the first things I did in ministry here at New Vision is I took a group of children. We went to children's camp just right outside of Dixon in White Bluff, Tennessee. And we went there, seven, eight kids we took for uh, three days at the children's camp. And I, when we showed up at this children's camp, I was early because, I, you know, I was young. I didn't want to do anything wrong. And I was early. And I had the kids there. And we pulled up. And there was a field where the church that was using the camp before us, they were about to leave. But because we got there a little early, they were out on the field finishing up some final games they were doing with the kids. And I actually knew the children's pastor who was there, and, and so we, we, I had known him from school, and so I went over to see him. And as I walked over to see him, I saw something I'll never forget. All these kids out in this field playing, and there was one tree, and there was a kid sitting under the tree, except he wasn't sitting there by his own desire. He was tied up to the tree. If you're in law enforcement, I didn't do this. I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't agree with it. So I went to my buddy, and I said, hey, I'm new at this ministry game. I don't think that's a good idea. He said, I know. He said, have you ever been around anybody demon-possessed? I said, no. He said, I think he is. He said, we haven't been able to do anything with him. He's just about killed us. He said, I just, my goal is to just get him back to his mom and dad this afternoon alive. And I think the best way for me to do it is just tie him up to that tree until we leave. <laughs> and then here's what he said I'll never forget. He said, that dude is a lost cause. I got people in my life that are tied up to trees. I got lost causes in my life. I've given up on people. He's too far gone. She's hopeless. 
He is a mess. And on and on and on. I don't have one kid tied up to a tree. I got a ton of them. And then I read this story. Then I'm reminded of this story. Then I'm reminded, if there was ever a lost cause, I think it's Saul. How about you? Murders the, I mean, he's, he's guilty of, of, of the first Christian martyr's death, Stephen. Murderous threats against the church, intent on destroying the movement as it begins. But here's what Saul's story tells me. Would you listen? We're almost done. No one is out of reach of our God. Can you be reminded of that today? There is nobody in your life that is out of the reach of our God. Doesn't this story remind us of that? And if you go back and you reread Acts, that's why we're working through Acts sequentially. Stephen's prayer, as Stephen is dying, Paul is overseeing his murder, standing there probably as close to Stephen as anybody as he's dying, and Stephen is praying, Father, don't hold their sin against them. He is praying, Stephen is praying, I believe, ultimately for Saul and others, and God answers that prayer. It reminds us that there are no lost causes. Here's the third thing today. And we'll finish up. I think this story helps me as it relates to how I see myself. How do I see myself? I see someone who's a trophy of God's grace. Someone who is way worse than I would have ever thought, but someone who experienced God's grace, which is far greater than I ever imagined. That's how I see myself. How do I see others today? No lost causes. God, I'm believing you to open their eyes. You can do it. And then lastly, how do you view the church? You're looking at me and I'm looking at you, right? It's so interesting. I, this is weird, but one of the things I love about speaking is watching responses. It's like, this is the fourth time I've preached this message. Same message. I said the same thing, pretty much. And people look up like, what, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, how I see myself and how I see others, I see that in the story. But now you're going to make this about church? Weird. Where are you getting that? Look at verse 4. Acts 9, verse 4. This is, this is a part of Saul's story that I don't think people talk about very much. Because it's not popular. Saul falls to the ground. The light appears. He falls to the ground. Look, and a voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I want you to think about something. Saul was going to persecute the church, wasn't he? I'm going to ask you that again. Saul was going to persecute the, the church. He goes to the high priest. And he asks for letters of where these people are gathered in Damascus to go and persecute the church. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here it is. Here it is. You're not going to like this. There is no separation between your love for Jesus and your commitment to his church. There's no separation. Tomorrow, there, there's a, a couple, they were in the last service, that they've invited us over for uh, dinner. They're grilling out, and so they said, uh, hey, you guys want to come over and have, have dinner? And, and uh, I said, 
what are you having? <laughs> well, I'm like, ah. He said, well, what do you want? Steak. Okay. Um, so we're coming. But <laughs> wonder if he'd have said this. wonder if Tyler had said, hey, want to have you over. I said, well, I mean, I'd love to come. No, 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 whoa, 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 just you. We don't like your wife. She's a mess. She's a diva. She's not coming in my house, but we'll see you tomorrow at 6. I'm not coming. I love my wife. And if you say to me, hey, 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 we want you over for dinner, but she can't come, I'm not coming. We're a package deal. Do you understand that? In fact, I, you, you, you can't love me and not love my wife. It's not going to work relationally. Do you understand that? Guys, you get that? It doesn't work. The church is called the bride of Christ. What does your commitment to the church say about your love for Jesus? Now, let's get one thing straight. I've been doing this for, for a long time now. We're not asking anything from you. We say this a hundred times around here. We only want something for you. I'm not asking you to join this church because it may not be a good fit for you, but I am asking you to find some place and connect and serve and give your life to the bride of Jesus Christ. But, but, but here's the pushback. Well, 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 you know what I would, but so much hypocrisy in the church. Can I say something to you just because I don't have much time and I'm just so tired of this? Here's what I say. It sure is. There's plenty of hypocrisy in the church, plenty of hypocrites in the church. Look around. I see some empty seats. There's room for some more. That's what I always say, right? (laughs) I'm a hypocrite. But can I tell you something? I've come to believe that's all just a smoke screen, right? Hypocrisy in others doesn't excuse disobedience in my life. Do you agree with that? Like hypocrisy in other people, that doesn't excuse disobedience in my, in, in my life. I'm with a dude this week, we're talking, and, and, and he says, you know, because he knows what I do, and so he's going to take a shot, you know. That's one of, been one of the hardest things about my, my boys were out here just a moment ago. They're, they're growing up. Like if their dad was a race car driver, that's cool. Their dad is a preacher. It can't get any more uncool than that, right? <laughs> so I'm with this guy, and he said, yeah, I work with, I work with one of your members, I said, good. I knew what was coming. He said, in fact, that's why I don't go over there. <laughs> I said, no. All right. He said, y'all hear how he talks? The office. If that's what Christianity's about. I don't want any part of that. That's why, that's, why, that's why I'm not involved in the church. And so I pushed on him a little bit. I, I said, oh, he, he, he said this. He said, it's embarrassing. I said, you're right. I said, I'm embarrassed by the church too. And, it could, and he kind of stumbled back. He's like, really? I said, heck yeah. I said, dude, I'm embarrassed by myself. I said, but you know what? Here's something interesting. God still chooses to connect and love embarrassing things. I said, that, that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? That God, God loves embarrassing things like me in the church. And so what you're saying, if you're saying you're a believer, is you're saying that I'm thankful that God loves embarrassing things for me personally, but I'm not choosing to connect with embarrassing things. So that's very unchristlike, isn't it? No amens there. I get it. 
But it's pretty true, isn't it? And part of this story, watch what happens. And, and, and here's what I'm praying. Not that you would hear, well, that was a great message on the church and I see it. No, you won't see it by anything I'm saying. You'll see it when God opens your eyes. Because, it, because, because Saul's eyes were open to the church. Here's a guy, listen, I'm almost done. Watch this. Here's a guy who is dead set on destroying the church, right? I mean, when you're going to a group, grabbing people out, taking them, prosecuting them, and hoping that you get a chance to execute them, you're pretty much wanting to destroy the church. After his conversion, his eyes are open. He spends his life doing what? Planning churches. That's what happens. God changes and we see differently the bride of Jesus Christ than we ever have before. Would you just do a little exercise with me? It's time to go. Just pick your Bible up and hold it for a minute to feel the weight of it. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can't do that, so you're feeling tons of shame. That's good. We use shame some here. It's helpful. Bring it next week. <laughs> you feel, feel the weight. If it weren't for the Apostle Paul seeing things differently, this book would weigh a lot less because most of your New Testament are letters that he wrote to who? Churches. Why? Because his eyes were opened to the bride of Jesus Christ. I, 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 I know I'm not the, the hippest dude, and I, I, don't, I don't try to be hip to relate to you guys. I mean, a little bit I do, to be honest. <laughs> you know what I pray for your generation? Because we missed it. My gener- we, we missed it. My generation, we're consumers. We're consumers, and that, that's, that's what church has been for us. We just, we just really, I'm talking about me, I'm not talking about anybody else. My generation, we, we, if, if it had cool programs and ministries and Ethiopian coffee and, you know, great praise and worship and, you know, we like the pre, we're consumers. My prayer for your generation is that you would love the church of Jesus Christ and you'd be contributors. It's a mess. It will always be a mess till Jesus comes back, but it is still his bride and he loves it and it's worth giving our life for. Do you see it? That's what I pray for you. It was funny. I was on an elevator not too long ago. I think Nick's in this service. Laura, you'll like this. And um, they said, hey, Pastor Brady, we go to New Vision. I said, hey, good to see you. Hey, while we got you here, who's preaching Sunday? I said, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be preaching Sunday. Oh. <laughs> we love Nick. <laughs> I said, I do too. I said, you know you said that out loud. It's okay to thank you said that out loud and it hurt my feelings. It's just a little, little bit. I think it's funny. I love Nick's preaching too. But you know what? Isn't that, if we're not careful, we're, we're just consumers. Hey, if you could let me know what the worship set's going to be, because I'm not sure if that's on my playlist, but I don't really like, if, if I like that, I'll be there. On and on and on. That's not what God is calling us to. Lord, open our eyes to see the church correctly and we would move from consuming to contributing and we'd give our life for the bride of Jesus Christ as Paul did. I think three signs that God's at work in your life as it relates to the church is first, you're frustrated with the church. That's natural. Second, you begin to be frustrated with yourself. You see the sin in your own life. And third, you re-enter the church, not as a Pharisee, not as this legalist, but as a fellow beggar in need of God's grace. And that's what I want this place to be. We're all fellow beggars in need of God's grace here. Do you understand that? That's the bride of Jesus Christ. 
Paul, if you study the New Testament, I'll close with this. Paul tells his story, this Damascus Road story, multiple times, not just one time. He loves to tell the story of what Jesus did on the Damascus Road. And in Acts chapter 26, he tells it again, but he tells it a little different. It it isn't that he tells it wrong. He just gives us a a nugget that he doesn't give us that that we hear the first time. Like, you know, like if you see an event and you tell somebody about that event, maybe next time you kind of think about another detail that maybe you left out. and, And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Acts 26, 14, he says this. He said, I fell to the ground. That's when the light shone on him. And a voice said to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, and then the Lord said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. We didn't see that in Acts 9, did we? The Lord says that. What does that mean? That's like the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. But everybody in the first century would have understood that a a, a goad was a sharp stick or a prod that you use for stubborn livestock. So if your ox is not moving to plow the field, you would take your goad out and you would prod them. It was sharp on the end. Literally stick that in their back quarters and prod them. And sometimes they would kick against it. And that's what Saul had been doing because this story doesn't just start here on the Damascus Road. I think God has been pursuing Saul for some time. He'd heard Jesus teach, I I believe. He had been in the presence of Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, as he goes into the presence of the Lord Jesus. But I want to close with this. Can you listen? Can you draw in today? What are the goads in your life that you've been kicking against? You might say, well, what are you talking about? Well, God will use any means necessary to draw our attention to him. And for some of you, it's just unescapable pain and regret that just keeps coming back into your mind from times past. Just over and over again, you see it in technicolor, and it is a goad that is prodding you, and it hurts. Why does that keep happening? Because God wants you finally to quit kicking against it. Well, how do I kick against it? I try to outrun it. I try to outdrink it on and on and on again and try to get away from it. God said, would you give it to me and let me heal it? Quit kicking against the goad. It's a voice of a friend who keeps speaking truth to you because you're you're walking so far away from God and you keep running them down. You keep making fun of them or attacking their approach to how they're sharing with you and on and on and on it goes. Or maybe for you, it's just no traction. Listen, I know it's time to go. There's no traction in your life. You're frustrated. Like every time you take two steps forward, it's one or three steps back. And you're like, what in the world? Why is there no traction? Relationally, why is this not working out? Emotionally, why is this not working out? working out financially and on and on and on and you keep blaming others you're kicking against the goats sooner or later you got to decide if you're going to keep kicking or surrender and that's what happened on that Damascus road this man surrendered and the rest is history and what a story it was and this God who loved a murderer like Paul loves you, loves the people that you have thrown away and tied to a tree, loves the bride, and wants to write the most amazing story in your life. When does the story begin? As soon as you stop kicking. 
Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the truths we see in this amazing story. Some 150 miles outside of Jerusalem with somebody who was not seeking you, but that you sought him. Lord, teach us these truths that they would burn deep into our hearts and lives and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.